This is Puddle Request, live on Radio Free Brooklyn. Puddle Request is an hour-long technology talk show focusing on everything in and relating to technology. Starring my technophile compatriot, Christian Grabowski, and myself, Eric Newman. And now we uh, segue into the show. Hello, Christian. Good. Can you uh, talk a little louder into the microphone? Sorry. Hi. We got a. Uh, it's always hard to set the levels when you're starting out a new radio show and everybody talks with a different voice. Yeah, I know. I can't really hear you that well. Can you, like, really yell? You're four. It looks like you're on three. Say something now. Hello. That didn't help. Did that help? Um, I'm hearing myself. How about now? Um, now I'm not. Now you're not? Well, I can hear you. Weird. Well, it looks like you're registering on the levels. Hold on, let me see your four. If I turn up the game now, talk. Hello? Oh, you sound better. Maybe you need to turn up your headphones. Oh, okay. Well, it's some live production notes on the show today. <laughs> Has, uh... Both of us were on time. Uh, I wouldn't go that far with you. Well, I'm never... I was born late, Christian, so... <laughs> I really, uh... I've got no excuse. But, uh, not, it's nice to... This is, a. Well, this is like our other first show. <laughs> Because if any of you were listening to us last week, it was a real, uh, it was a just-in-time delivery, we'll call it that. Just as code can compile just in time, and just as cars can be manufactured just in time, a radio show was put together as you were listening to it on the air. And hopefully today is a better fate for us. So, uh, Christian, I am obliged to ask about your Thanksgiving. How was that? Pretty good. I'll be running it off for about a year now, but... uh... (laughs) Until good. next Thanksgiving, right? Yeah. How about yours? It was, uh, it was good, filled with, uh, could you believe it, family arguments. I'm not surprised, oddly enough, knowing you. Yeah, I know. And given where I come from, my family, how can I not get into arguments with them? <laughs> when they say Snowden is a traitor, and if you've got nothing to hide, you've got nothing to fear, why would I argue with that? Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. I, have, I was in uh, a suburb of Baltimore called Pikesville which uh, is an affluent Jewish suburb, and I'm an affluent Jew. And yes, there is a really quick joke you can make with Pikesville and Jews, but let's not say that on the air. <laughs> Begins with the letter K, in case you're wondering. Took me a second. Yeah, no, it's only just one letter. You change it. It's a great joke. Anyway, uh, no, it was, uh, it was fine. It was, you know, I, I went down on Monday, and I came back yesterday because we had to do this. And... Um, Oddly enough, uh, I took the uh, good old Amtrak Northeast Regional down to Baltimore. Oh, fun. Oh, fun. Imagine the people you can meet traveling between New York and D.C. I met a, ja- a jazz pianist. Pianist? Pianist? Uh, Pian- penis? Uh, a jazz penis. I met a jazz penis on the train on Monday. He was actually best friends with Herbie Hancock. Ah, that, that means two things. That means that that means two things. I would have a Herbie Hancock thing pulled up if I remembered where it was in my playlist over here. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, anyway, no. So we were was riding the train down. It, of course, is delayed, and um, I did my usual pretend to be asleep. The show's gonna be a bit more about delayed trains than tech, isn't it? Oh my god! <laughs> well, you know what? It's uh. You know, it's trying. It's it's trying to get into the mood of things. Mm-hmm. 
And I guess, you know, it is a common trend in New York City to talk about delayed trains. Mm-hmm. So why not? No, just really quickly, I, uh... No, the train was cool. I always try to do the thing where I pretend to be asleep when it stops, which you can't really do on the subway, but if you're on the Long Island Railroad or the Metro North or Amtrak, you definitely, uh... Just try to put your hat down and keep the sunglasses on and just, uh... Until you get to the next, until the train starts moving again. Anyway... I wanted to talk to you, Christian, about a couple of the arguments that I got into the last week before we hit the news. Is that okay? Sure. Good, because you can't say no, we're on the air. Uh, (laughs) Do you think Edward Snowden is a traitor? No. If you had a top-secret security clearance, which I will not say if you do or do not, if you had a top-secret security clearance, would you blow it, yes or no? Uh, I'd say it depends on the severity of what uh, the secrets are. Well, if the secret was that the government is illegally wiretapping into everybody's communicative devices, would you, and you saw that happening, would you say, well, I have a top secret clearance. I don't want to fuck this up. Oh, I'd blow blow the whistle on that one. You'd blow the whistle. Yeah. But that is, as some people would call it, or some people who are retired airmen from the Air Force, like my uncle, treasonous. How does that make you feel, Christian? You're a red-blooded American like the rest of us. (laughs) Well, I understand that it is, by definition, treason, but at the same time, there's a sense of morality uh, that has to come into play. So is it one of those, when the law does not bend to our will, we have to adjust the law? Is it one of those, or...? Mm, I don't know, really. I wouldn't say it's... From a legal standpoint, it's absolutely treason, unfortunately, but... uh, from the standpoint of right and wrong, it's probably the right thing to expose that, uh, that hey, there's all these wiretaps here and everything. And it's kind of funny because encryption was not even a topic of discussion in uh, outside of tech uh, up until uh, Snowden, pretty much. And that just there were the with San Bernardino iPhones earlier this year. That, oh, yeah. no, that's true. That was this year too. That was this year. Yes. That man, we have had a this year has felt like three years with all the shit that's gone on, and I'm. Liberally using profanity now that I'm away from my family, which has been great, and I'm back in the beautiful shithole of New York City. It's great. I should probably watch myself, because we're still on the radio. This is a professional operation, after all, but, you know, we're the internet. Why not? Anyway, so, okay, the the thing is, the big contention is the right versus wrong. Because Mm -hmm. to some people, like my uncle, who is a retired airman from the Air Force, uh, he was a navigator in Air Force One, actually, during uh, Bush the First. And, uh... He believes that the government, if you're, if you're a government man, government person, and you have your rules, you need to follow them. That's it. There's no wiggle room. There's no, well, you know, I thought it was better. No, that's, and I'm not agreeing with that. I'm mm-hmm. on your side of things. I think Snowden did a massive service to the country, mostly because, I don't want to sound arrogant, but I was complaining about a lot of this shit before it happened. Snowden comes along and everybody goes, oh my God, how? The government? But why? How did it happen? Well, I've been saying it for years, years. And everybody called me a kook. Everybody called me tinfoil hat boy. Everybody called me effing crazy. But then Snowden comes out with all of the stuff I've been saying and uh, caught off guard. Just like with this election, which I will not talk about. (laughs) Except for right now, because it caused me to do something very drastic. That is really going to alter my life in the next couple of weeks. I... have deleted Facebook from my phone. 
It's not easy to do. It's not easy. Don't laugh at me. This, I really thought about it. I've come close to doing it many, many, many times. Just with my finger over the button. Do it. Should I do it? Should I do it? But then I get a notification from somebody telling me that I'm right. And I want to keep it there. But then when somebody tells me that I'm wrong, it has to go. And I, I can't deal with people telling me that I'm wrong in line. So I just can't participate anymore. <laughs> that's, that's, really, that's really what it boils down to. And I hope the rest of you also realize that fact. You cannot tell someone that they're wrong online and have them really agree with you. Maybe you, maybe in some extreme circumstances where the person that you're talking to... Be to be fair, we've had arguments online that I've actually won about tech. <laughs> no, that's what I'm saying. I can't, but I start the arguments. I can't win them with you. That's why we have this radio show. <laughs> I can't win arguments with more extreme Jews than I am. I'm a reformed Jew. My land, I, Anyway, uh, it's uh, that's another story. Um, let's go back to talking about Snowden really quickly because it's an interesting... It's very interesting, especially as we're about to have a new presidential administration with a new group of people to enter the White House and to really uh, try to direct the course of technology and law in this country for the next four years. And I don't know if any of them actually know how to use computers. One of them, sorry, I'll, I'll, uh, my, my apologies. I'm, I'm agreeing with you. <laughs> One of them, uh, yeah, and it's also very hard to have, look and talk and all of this at the same time. We'll figure this out shortly. But... Uh, one of them is quite proficient at Twitter, probably from his golden toilet. Hmm. And then the other ones probably have their grandchildren help with the computer problems whenever they come over for Thanksgiving. Like what happened with me and my family. They've been saving it up, just saving it up, and then as soon as you, oh, hi, how's it going? Then, just, oh, you know, this doesn't work, this doesn't work. How have you lived for so long? I don't know. <laughs> so... What, what do you think? Do you think that we're about to take a giant step backwards, Christian? Yes and no. Um, in general, I'd say no. Uh, it seems like a lot of this seems to be the same stuff that it's always been. But um, on the sense of uh, technology, uh, you look at uh, the possible appointees to the FCC and kind of just generally in government, they don't know how computers work. And even the technical advisors that uh, both the, the current slash previous president and the new the president-elect have been considering even their technical advisors aren't really that technical they're the business side of tech companies that are not even what i'd really consider that cutting edge so like who um i forget his name but uh the one uh, obama appointed uh he was actually like some uh like operations guy at uh some consulting firm that was kind of like cutting edge for the 90s but these days it's like half what they build is just legacy stuff that uh, as developers we would complain about nonstop. well we tend to do that no matter what the government does because government and law always lag maybe five ten years behind technology in america yes but you look at europe uh snoopers charter we we're going to talk about that okay you want to talk about the snoopers charter um i actually don't know what the snooper starter is so i'll be excited to hear about that but but what i was going to say is you, you look at a lot of these governments they've moved over to linux and actually call, uh, managed to make room in their budgets as a government from moving away from microsoft and uh, as a government and they've also been able to up security they've been able to stay on more wait 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 software. you said the government's moving away from microsoft not ours oh. but you look at uh like uh germany Swe uh sweden belgian all those places, they're on Linux, and they've actually been able to stay way more up-to-date on software, thus making them more secure, as well as just costing less money. And, in fact, I but believe... But if they don't run Windows servers, then how can we spy on them? Good question. <laughs> I mean, you know, that might... 
There was this news story that came out last year or something like that that's a w around the Snowden stuff that uh, that that noticed that we were also spying on our allies, including countries that we don't have problems with right now, like Germany. Angela and Obama seem to be doing really well together, and they mm -hmm. seem to be having a ball. I don't know why. But All of those course, selfies at the Olympics. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But uh, we still have to have our fingers in all the pies. One of the other things, and this leads right into that, that uh, my uncle was talking about, is that we have to be the world police. Do we? Yes or no? Um, this is a very political discussion. Um. Well, no, but it's, it's, related to, it's related to technology because the idea of, okay, if Microsoft is running all of the government servers of foreign governments, let's say, let's say Russia is running Windows Server, and there's a way that we can use a zero-day exploit to hack into Putin's Windows Server, the Kremlin's Windows Server. Is that is that I really ethical? feel Russia isn't running Windows, but well, they might be running a cracked Windows, but that's a what would they be running? <laughs> I I I, I, I would err on the side of uh, Linux or something BSD ish, but um, I don't know. It's it's tough because you get the sense of safety with America being the world police, but should they be? I'd say morally, no. What about in a technological sense? Earlier this year, we released control of ICANN for the first time since the internet was, was born. I find it ridiculous, the idea of America being the world police on the internet. One, because we, are, we aren't even in the top 15 of best internets in the world. Well, we were first, though. Yeah. Well, yes and no, we had Americans working on it, but we also had Europeans working on it. But it was for the American internet, wasn't it? Um, that I'm actually a little vague on, but, uh, wh whether or not we were first, we're still not even one of the 15 best at the moment. Right. Well, it's the same. It's exactly the same, uh, when you talk about rail and, mm -hmm. uh, and Hey, look at that. We've just made a giant big circle back to trains <laughs> because we, our, you know, Amtrak is basically the Victorian era and you just roll over every bad nail and every dead body that's in that railway. And, um, a lot of Europe had to have been rebuilt 50 years ago, 60 years ago, for some reason. And now, and they've also invested much more in their infrastructure than we have. And now uh, our trains still feel like the Wild West. <laughs> and uh, all of my friends who live in Europe constantly talk about how, oh, yeah, Berlin, the U-Bahn is so much better than the New York subway. Oh, I just, I don't know how you live. And it's cheaper, too. I don't, I don't get it. I don't get how you live. I don't get how I live either. But... <laughs> That's I mean, a, my favorite are South Korea's automated trains. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, we have automated trains, too. The L and the 7 could be automated if it weren't for yep. unions. the unions, yeah. which that's something that I don't think relates to technology, so we don't have to talk about that. But that's another one of those give and take yeah. where it's an equilibrium equation. Sometimes with go without a government regulations, it's you can have too many and you can have too few. You have to find the right equilibrium and balance of power. Anyway, with that amount of time, I've been able to pull up a Washington Post article on the Snoopers Charter. Sweeping UK spy bill dubbed Snoopers Charter becomes law. As I scroll down. Dateline, London. In Britain, Big Brother just got bigger. After months of wrangling, Parliament has passed a contentious new snooping law that gives authorities from police and spies to food regulators fire officials and tax inspectors powers to look at the internet browsing records of everybody in the country. Now, 
ISPs in, in Europe uh, and the UK have had retention laws as part of the EU that they've had to keep records of all their traffic, all their subscribers' traffic and their IP addresses mm -hmm. and all that stuff for, I think, two years, which is a lot given uh, how much porn people look at. And this just makes it a little... Is this... It, I'll, I'll read more of the article, and you can tell me if this actually means anything. Because there's the usual cry of, you know, oh my god, it's the government overreach. And we're about to have something just like this happen domestically. And uh, England, the United Kingdom, has always been the... I shouldn't say always, because I'm 29 and I haven't even been there. Uh, has, has typically been the beta testing grounds for things that they want to do here. And a lot of the cybersecurity stuff, uh, they test out there, because it's a more controllable population. Countries are smaller, smaller populations. Anyway, um, let's see. Tim Berners-Lee, you know who he is. He used that Steve Jobs Next Cube to make the World Wide Web in 1992. Mm -hmm. Tim Berners-Lee, the computer scientist credited... Oh, I just I, I didn't even need to read that line. Look at that. A tweeted news of the law's passage with the words dark, dark days. Now, if you follow I Love Science on Facebook... That's also all of the things that they say about the things that they post. So it's hard to take people. People have been crying wolf a little too much these days. But he said, oh, somebody else at home office official, Chris Mills, said, it won't happen in a big bang next week. As he told a meeting of Internet service providers on Thursday, it will be a phased program of the introduction of the measures over a year or so. In short, the government says the new law ensures powers are fit for the digital age. Uh... The modern equivalent of an itemized phone bill, but, per, but, but critics say it's more like a personal diary. So it looks like it's just more, it's more retention laws. And uh, the law incorporates protections about, uh, against intrusion, including an investigatory powers commissioner to oversee the system and judges to scrutinize government-approved warrants to hack into electronic devices. So there's a couple of things. First, let's walk this back a little. Should... Actually, baby step. Should your ISP be allowed, if whether they're rule, uh, 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 ruled to by the government or not, should they be allowed to track you and, and, and archive that information? Strictly business perspective, sorry. Whether or not they're allowed to, they've been doing that and been trying to do that for a while, particularly uh, with torrents. Uh, I've, oddly enough, never had it happen to me, but I know plenty of people who will get cease and desist based on the fact that they're using torrents. and could be for completely legal reasons. In fact, a bunch of uh, operating system images are downloaded via torrent. In, exactly. And when I was a junior in college uh, in 2007, uh, I got in trouble for exactly that. I was living on a school-affiliated um, apartment. It wasn't a dorm. And we had internet, and there was some douchebag, uh, probably like that South Park TSA agent who's watching everybody's internet traffic and one day I come back from class and I my internet doesn't work and I have some papers to do and I say why and the guy goes oh we, we disconnected your internet because you were downloading torrents well okay but did you see what I was downloading no but I don't want torrents on my network okay well I was downloading Ubuntu and I was downloading Ubuntu which is free because everybody else is using HTTP traffic to browse porn <laughs> and you guys have packet shaping on because I can tell Mm -hmm. I don't know, don't get those torrents off my name. <laughs> so I did. Uh, once I was actually caught for potentially acquiring, allegedly acquiring intellectual property that I did not own, I got a letter from HBO. Mm -hmm. uh, they said, they said, and uh, I contest, they said I was downloading a show called Entourage, also from the 2000s. And uh, HBO typically has been the 
one content provider that I think has been most aggressive or has just been most successful in quashing pirates. But they seem to have really good content, so I pay for HBO now. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I, that's a double. I pay for HBO capital N now, and I pay for HBO comma now. Because uh. I watch HBO now on my iPad, not having a television, and I pay for it because there's a value for value proposition. Mm-hmm. And I think growing up in the 2000s, with uh, in the 90s and the 2000s, with this kind of birth of the internet, we, they've been calling it the golden age for a long time. And people in the last couple of years have said, the end is nigh. It's going to, it, it, you, you can't just keep stealing stuff. You can't just keep the government will eventually figure out how to find you, how to track you, how to lock it down. And the problem is that when you're 13, 14, 15, and, you, and you're a little adolescent jerk-off, and you're like, well, I don't have any money, so I'm just going to pirate Microsoft Office and Microsoft and every version of Windows and all these games. You paid for WinRAR, didn't you? No. <laughs> I didn't pay for Win- WinRAR. I didn't pay for WinAmp. Uh, I didn't pay for what was another shareware program. I don't play. I don't pay for Sublime. Uh, I don't. Uh, Sublime is negware. It's, it's not uh, yeah. really well, that's because you know shareware used to be uh, send a postcard with a check back to us mm-hmm. with a picture of you holding our floppy disk. And uh, I should find. I have some shareware for uh, classic Mac OS, like Mac OS six for that old computer. For those of you listening, I've actually successfully restored a Macintosh SE thirty from nineteen eighty nine. It has, it works, it has a hard drive, it has a disk drive, it has Mac OS 7 on it, and the coolest thing, I'll bring it in one day, uh, the original Macintoshes had signatures inside the case that were, that were pressed into the case, embossed, sorry, onto the case, into the case, whatever, on the case. Uh, by, on the case by the original Macintosh team, and the SE was the last one to have those signatures, and mine does. It is one of the coolest things I've seen about computers. And also, if you take apart an SE, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a lunchbox. <laughs> Using 1980s technology, they made a whole computer. Now, when you turn it on, you can hear every piece of it move. You can hear the hard drive. Every part of it, every fan, every, there's one fan. The video card is on stilts. I'm not kidding. It's on, it's, it, it goes, the, the CRT with pins literally attaches right into the video card and that's on stilts and that goes right into the logic board there is stuff i mean that's that's crazy that's <laughs> crazy that's that they have stuff on every face every panel everywhere they could figure out how to cram boards they figured it out and they did that in 1984 and it was i don't know it, it, that that type of stuff still, still marvels me as the same company now releases a three thousand dollar laptop with four ports and they removed the MagSafe uh, power adapter, which was a problem that they solved 10 years ago. <laughs> ten year, 11 years ago. No, 10 years ago. The MacBook Pro, mm-hmm. which was in my, uh, the, uh, one of the... I don't, did you used to watch the keynotes with Steve? Uh, every once in a while. I, I didn't watch every single one. They were a real event for me. I don't, I'm not a sports person, mm-hmm. as you might guess by the hat that I'm wearing. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> but uh, I'm not a sports person, but those really were uh, events for me because... It used to be, back in the good old days, every keynote was something fantastic and new for, for Mac OS or, or the Macintosh or some kind of new paradigm shift of how we'd use computers, whether it was Spotlight or whether it was Mac OS X to start, which, was, which Mac OS 9 didn't even have proper multitasking. Mac OS X had proper men- memory man- management, proper multitasking, proper networking. It had the dock instead of that control strip 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the beginning. And then there was Spotlight, and then there were Spaces, and then there was a bunch of other stuff. Every year, there was a new thing, and it was a big thing. And then in 2008, I think that's when Snow Leopard came out. That's when they ran out of stuff. Mm. Because they stopped, they started working more on iOS, and yeah. they started work, trying to incorporate more features from iOS back into the classic Mac. And uh, it's... And now Mac OS Sierra is somewhere really I don't even I don't I don't know. I am really ready to just put Arch Linux on my MacBook Pro to be honest. Why not just BSD? It is BSD anyway. It is, but uh I don't like BSD. I've tried it a few times and I just get frustrated. What why? I uh, mostly it's just like I have to keep on Googling the, uh, what is the BSD equivalent of this Linux tool. So it's a trans... Yeah, but you'll eventually be fluent in it, right? Mm, there's a few things that's like, it just doesn't have these. And I'm like, oh, that that is unfortunate. Can you give me an example? Uh, so it doesn't have Bash. It has every shell that you can think of but Bash. So like ZSH? Yep. And I don't... That's the only other one that I know. Uh, it's like C, C shell is like the, the, um, the, the default one. Why? Oh, I'm sorry. Why... Are there other shells for Linux? Unix? Uh, well, big part of it is uh, cer- certain design decisions that uh, one group wanted to do that the other group didn't agree with. All of a sudden, it's like, okay, well, we'll just make our own. That happens with software all the time. It happened with, har- with hardware, too. That's how AMD started. Mm-hmm. So that's it? That's just It's just like religions. Yeah, It's just much. like all the different sects of religions. Well, you know, you, we're, we want some of this, but not all of it. Well, then screw you guys. We're going to do our own thing. That's, I don't know. <laughs> so that's religions, that's operating systems, that's political parties, that's everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. Um, oh, we got off track about the Snoopers Charter. One of the things that just I want Just a little. Just a little. <laughs> off track again, a train pun. Why, uh, the government, both governments, uh, the UK and ours, have been known to buy zero-day exploits and use them maliciously against people. Buy? Buy, B-U-Y. Yeah. Ha, 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 th- these are just for purchase? What? Uh, it, it's like, it's weird that these would be for purchase. It's kind of like a thing that... Uh, I mean, you know, there is a dark net. Yeah, but it's like intellectual property, though, more so than... which. But if somebody says... Yes, uh, you can put a price on it. So, exactly. If somebody... We're in the information age, information economy. If somebody says, I have a zero-day exploit for the current build of Microsoft Windows, and it will affect 100 million computers... How much will you pay me for it? That'd be everyone who knows how to code, though. <laughs> well, especially after they replaced Command with PowerShell, but that's another story. Oh, God. Are they? They did. Oh, yikes. It happened. Uh, yikes. Which, I mean, listen, do you really want abort retry fail in 2016? No, but... It's, it's like the... Win- if win- that's the shell they should have had this whole time, I think. Because it's more like Bash. It's better for scripting. It's not the stupid batch files. It's pretty bad. Have you ever used PowerShell for trying to get any automation out of it? No. Yeah, it's pretty bad. I've only used it for things where I can follow tutorials online, and then they work. Miraculously! I mean, same thing, but even that, they don't always work. No, they don't. No, and, and, and tutorials not always working is exactly why I can't use uh, Macromedia, Flash. Macromedia Flash anymore? How old am I? Adobe Animate? Wow. Adobe Kill Flash! You're really dating yourself here. CD-ROM, iPod, Macromedia Flash. I mean, that's uh, I'm a child of the 2000s. <laughs> you uh, mentioned floppy disk earlier. Right, well, that, we were talking about the 80s then. By the way, mm. I was visiting my uh, sextarian, sextagenarian, 60s. 
relatives, they had plenty of floppy disks lying around. Oh, I'm sure. But none of their computers would take it. That was the funny thing. They don't have a computer with a mm-hmm. floppy drive. They just have floppies lying around. So, uh, anyway. Here. The growing market for zero days. Knowledge of the existence of zero days is valuable to criminals and intelligence agencies alike. They pay lots of money to learn about these vulnerabilities and then develop exploits, for not or simply purchase the exploits, to circumvent information security of their targets. Among other techniques, the hackers that breached Sony Pictures Entertainment, which I think was this year or last year, mm-hmm. and the Office of Personnel Management, which is also this year or last year, exploited zero-day vulnerabilities to pull off these high-scale attacks. This has become serious business. The international market for buying and selling of zero-day vulnerabilities compromises three overlapping markets. Black, gray, and white. Oh. Hats. And they should have said hats. That would have given it away. Mm-hmm. Sellers in the black hat market include freelance hackers and organizations, a.k.a. script kitties. No. Uh, well, some of them are, right? Or would script kitties, would they be black hat or would they just uh, be kind I of... Like, I feel like that's how you get started. Right. They think they're black hat. Yeah. They're just douchebags. Yeah. Buyers include... Which I love all of you dearly. Please don't hack me. Uh, buyers, <laughs> I love you, I love Anonymous, I love WikiLeaks, all of you people, 4chan, the Kim.com, you're all great. Um, I can get his access point smack address if anyone's interested. <laughs> yeah, well, when we start taking calls, well, I'm sure, I'm sure. Uh, buyer, all right, um, buyers include criminals and criminal organizations. Given the underground nature of the market, there's, also, there's often no telling how many vulnerabilities are bought and sold. Roy Lindelkoff, Lindelof, sorry, a researcher at the Netherlands... De- Defense Academy believes that more than half of exploits sold are now bought from bona fide firms rather than freelance hackers, suggesting that the black market is not the biggest of the three interlinked markets. Is not the biggest. Mm-hmm. But there is a real black hat market for exploits. Let's talk about the gray market for a second. Uh, nation states, you know, like Uncle Sam, historically have had a monopoly over buying in the gray market. They include, we just talked about this, defense contractors such as North of Grumman and Raytheon are also thought to be buyers and or sellers. That possibly, the gray hat, possibly is what hits closest to home, especially because since it's not black, you can really like pretend that there's some kind of silver lining on the inside for buying all of these well, shitty exploits to exploit your citizens. In the actual definition of a gray hat, there, there is a uh, silver lining, I guess, but I, I feel they're using that term loosely here to say... I mean, this is the Washington Post. They don't know what computers are. They just oh. use them. Oh. I should... Well, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, it's an I'm Amazon lo- company now. I'm looking at, at you in a totally different light, knowing that you read Washington Post. <laughs> I read Google. I'm kidding. I was just in the Baltimore, Washington area, so I, you know... That's their, uh... Anyway... Uh, no, what is the real definition of a gray hat, then? It's not white, it's not black, it's somewhere in the middle. Yeah, uh, I'd say doing malicious things with the intent to protect. With the intent to protect. So, if Uncle Sam says, I'm going to buy these zero-day exploits and hack all of the computers in the United States with a mega warrant that we're about to get in December, uh, because ISIS, Mm. because Russia, because China, because terrorists, because Snowden, that's why. That's, that's not deba- even a real argument. That's, that's debatable. That, oh, yes, it's yeah. debatable, but then I'll just keep repeating them to you. ISIS well, I'm saying and it's, Russia deba- and China uh, it's debatable and to say that's gray or, or black. Oh. Well, the, if the go- but because the government always a- acts in our interest, so it should be white because they're helping us. They're protecting us. Well, and if you've got nothing to hide, Christian, then why should you be against 
a government just snooping through your things just to just to make sure you're not a terrorist or a communist or a fascist or a bigot. <laughs> Sorry, all those words have just kind of been lumped together in my memory. I'll throw xenophobe out there too. Um, but that's, I mean, we have the Fourth Amendment, which is supposed to protect against unauthorized intrusion into our mm -hmm. personal effects, which does extend into computers and computer information. However, as a quick tangent, and by the way, I own quicktangent.com, and I always say this when I go on quick tangents, that the, the police can force you to unlock your phone if it has a fingerprint sensor and you have used the fingerprint sensor to unlock your phone. However, they cannot force you to unlock your phone if it's protected by a password. Mm -hmm. So, Does that also apply to pin codes? I'd hope so, but those are, if you have a four-digit pin code protecting your phone, you really whoa, should whoa, whoa. beef that up. It's, it's a five-digit. Oh! <laughs> excuse me, that has twice the complexity. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no, if you're using, I mean, it's a number. Mm-hmm. I understand that what you should definitely do is say if you've improperly typed the passcode five times, wipe the phone, and then you could just start jamming buttons and try to wipe your phone if anything happens. Or if you do have the fingerprint enabled, restart your phone as quickly as possible. That so, will force Touch ID to be... I'm sorry, it will force you to enter a password. So I use my fingerprint. I have two fingers registered on my phone, and I shouldn't have said that out loud, but now everybody knows. But if the cops wanted to look at it, everybody take out their phones, everybody put out their fingers. Just restart your phone as quickly as possible, and then you'll be required to use a password, and you can just tell them that you forgot it, and that's legal. So, by the way, I have to mention, I am not a lawyer. This is not real legal advice. I can get in trouble for saying this if I'm wrong, but this is just a geek's view of legalities. So, in, in regards to actually the trying to get into a phone argument, the way to uh, disable a password on at least an Android phone, as depend, it all, and I believe this goes for iOS too, it's just the issue is uh, where's the data you're trying to get at. Because if you just reformat the user partition, then there goes your password anyway. So if you're trying to yeah, get but all your data is going to be in user space anyway. So if you well, it's not user it. space; it's different. This is just user data versus system data. So if you're looking to get like uh, your phone calls and text messages, that actually goes into your system side of things. While your Facebook messages, your uh, WhatsApp, your uh, Telegram, all, all of those, those go into your uh, user partition. Right. So. So, but. If you're just trying to get calls and text messages, then you can just go ahead and uh, reformat that user partition, and you're in. But you, but the, but the calls and texts are saved in the user space, the user partition. It's not always. When you say partition, I know that you're talking about. Are you? Are you what D are you? Disk partition. No, I know, I know. Is this the is the users is the user space in a separate partition on iOS? Uh, I believe so. Um. I know. I, I, I haven't touched iOS in that in that way uh, for a few years now, so it could have changed. But uh, back when I did, it was the case that uh, those were saved. Th uh, the calls and uh, text messages went to uh, system, and everything else went to user. And in fact, I uh, rooted my Android this past week. Calls weekend. and text messages went to system. Yeah, that sounds ridiculous. Why? Because if there's multiple users on the system, then and you access the system partition, then you can get all the calls and texts for all of the users. Only if you had uh, well, access the to the device. Equivalence of root. Then right. you can get to it. Yeah, but we're talking about police and we're talking about the FBI. The FBI, who've paid millions of dollars to Russian hackers earlier this year mm -hmm. to compromise the San Bernardino iPhone to find Bupkis. But that's what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. So when the cops come over and they have their device that they'll plug in to your phone to suck out everything that they can suck out, uh, even if your stuff is password protected, it doesn't matter for your calls and texts. 
No, well. What about dick pics? Pictures? Is that, uh. Oh, that's even easier because these days they all just go to the cloud. Yeah, but the cloud is secure. Um. So they say. Apple says the cloud, their cloud. Apple says their iCloud storage is secure. Um. Well. Well. That's from, that's from Cookie. Yeah. Do you, uh, do you have a contention? Tim Cook, do you have a contention with that? <laughs> I would, I would say that it can be hacked depending on, uh, how you're accessing it. If you have control the network, then you absolutely can get into it. If you can control the network, then you can absolutely get into it. So what what can we tell people? Or is this just a new is this a new normal? What can we tell people to help protect their sensitive information and dick pics on their phone from police intrusion? Whether uh, warrantful or not. Encrypt it yourself. Um, well, I mean, the phone is encrypted, and the oh, phone yeah. is default encrypted, which... Oh, yeah, but you, you have that intermittent uh, certificate that has to go through the ISP every single time. For the traffic. Mm-hmm. So they could just do a man in the middle, but that's not uh, your device. Right. So that's what I'm talking about. Right. So if, if, you're in a, if you're at a party, cops walk in the door, and I, like I said, everybody mm. take out their phones, everybody put out their fingers, which has happened... I'll have to find the article for next time, but um, what do you do to protect? Is that when you just like throw your phone out the window or just erase everything or what do you, I, I've been saying just restart it because then they have to really try to hack it. If you restart it I, and I, then you say, well, hold on. If you restart it and then say after five times I'm wiping everything and the phone is dead, then what's wrong with that? I'd say no matter what with, with software, there's always some trace left. Uh, in fact, it is the case that uh, you Basically, have to uh, drill a hole in your hard drive for it to be uh, completely wiped. Even if I tell it to write zeros on all the sectors of the disk seven times? There's still a a small uh, spot where they actually show uh, a history of those wipes. That way you can... Even seven times? All right, I'm not. I'm no. Uh, That's why the seven. I'm, I'm no data. In, I'm no data recovery expert here. I'm not. But, a, I'm not. I didn't invent seven. That is an option in disk utility. Yeah. By the way, they actually changed disk utility for the first time in. 17 years with the last update to Mac OS. Isn't that crazy? Mm-hmm. They, I, well, because disk utility is just a GUI around the DD command. I understand. Actually, there's a disk util command in Mac OS. Oh, yeah. And, it's, and then that just wraps DD? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Well, the thing is, though, is that it's looked exactly like that since Mac OS 9. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was, like I said, troubleshooting computer problems in Baltimore. <laughs> and uh, I was said, okay, let's open up disk utility. And I was like, go to the what? <laughs> what is this? They finally, they finally change it after 16 years, and they didn't tell me. Hmm. Thanks, Tim. I thought we were friends. Hmm. Okay. Um, back to hacking. Gray hats, white hats, snoopers try. Okay. Basically, what this article is saying is that there are exploits that are out there, and there's a market for these exploits, and the government... Acting as, a, as an actor on the market can buy these exploits and use them for their own self-interest, which is supposed to be our self-interest since we're citizens of the United States. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but instead, they're, they might use them to hack your shit. Is that okay? Uh, it's not okay from a citizen standpoint. But... but what about ISIS? What about China? What about Russia? What about Putin? <laughs> these are the arguments uh, I... that, you will be, that will, they will tell you in Congress. Oh, Whenever yeah, you sure. try to argue logically about, they were talking about encryption earlier, mm-hmm. and earlier this year, and that, like I said, with the San Bernardino iPhone, and Joseph Comey, the director of the FBI, said something really scary, which is that why use encryption? Mm-hmm. Why? 
It only complicates investigations, which are for your benefit. So if you want to help out government, don't encrypt yourself. Why? That's ridiculous. You, the, we're supposed to be the none of your fucking business country. We're mm -hmm. supposed to be, get away from me. I'm doing my stuff. That's why we have the Fourth Amendment. That's why we have the Bill of Rights. That's why we have the Constitution, is to prevent government overreach. But they will always use an extreme example oh, to yeah. try to get ahead. Oh, yeah. Never let a crisis go. And I'd say one out of every 10,000 are probably actually the people they're looking for that they find. Right. That they had. But they just like being able to surveil from their wall of monitors and databases sitting in that reminds Langley. Me. I, uh, I'm uh, on my way to building my own wall of monitors in my apartment. So, How many video anyway. cards do you need for that? Uh, I have two. You know, we should also mention that because it's a New York City apartment, you don't need many monitors. No, but I like it. <laughs> Are you going to put Flux on all of them? Please don't. Flux? Yeah. T-Mux, come on, come on. No, 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 Flux is that horrible program that changes the hue of the screen. To oh, no, 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 no. Thank no, you. No, no, no. And please, as a public service announcement, turn it off! Jesus Christ, it hurts my eyes and my head and my brain. And don't just do it for me. Do it for yourselves, too. Don't you want to see what colors the colors actually are? I don't get it. <laughs> I don't get it. I do color-based work uh, as, uh, because I do mostly, mostly but not only front-end design. And I try to keep high-quality monitors calibrated, and I really pay attention to differences in color because when you're working with brands and you're working mostly with brands and brand identities and agencies, you need to be on your stuff when it comes to colors. And colors and the specific color that's used is very, very important. I, and there are a lot of Arguments I've got into with back-end people and even, uh, <laughs> even my boss at my, at my day job says, you know, he made some comments about, oh, you were complaining about the color purple we use. Yeah, because it has to be approved by another brand that we don't own. So if they look at it, we say, we made this for you. And then they look at it and they go, what, what, is, what is this? I'm like, yeah, well, we didn't really care about the purple, but we got you the product on time. And they said, but our brand is purple. That's the purple that we're looking for when we see our brand. And we don't see it. Why are we working with you? And there's a difference. And this goes back into my greater argument about why people are stopping or are not really giving front-end design the attention and front-end development the attention that it deserves. Um, because people are just caught up in the, oh, let's just get it out there. MVP, MVP, MVP. But MVP does include brand guidelines, too. And I, I don't think a lot of people... Yeah, exactly. You're shaking your head. Mm -hmm. I don't know if a lot of people, especially in the engineering circuit, really understand how important branding is. You're, you're talking to a guy who two out of his three monitors are just bash windows every day. So. And how big are those monitors? Uh, let's see. A 15-inch laptop and a 24-inch uh, monitor turned uh, at 90 degrees. That's what I have, except they don't do the, the and portrait. Then, then I have the big iMac. Is your 24-inch 4K? 1440? P? Uh, yes, yes. 142560 by 1440? Yes, it is. Mazel tov! Oh, I actually, I had one. Well, that, that, that's my work setup. My uh, at-home setup is a bit different. Oh, yeah. I actually have a mazel tov. <laughs> oh, it didn't. It's, the, it's, it's down. Never mind. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I've uh, taken it easy on the, on the sound effects today. I've noticed. As my eyes. There we go. So I've been chopping up a lot of... Uh, Fiddler on the Roof. Anyway. Um, so what do we what do we say? This 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 episode pretty much has been about infosec, mm -hmm. information security, and the idea that governments want to for their own self-interest, not for yours, not for the world's, that's how they'll pitch it, but for their own self-interest, which has usually 
ulterior motives that they'll group under the general term of national security. The government wants to spy governments, not just ours. They want to see what's going on, and they see encryption as an assault into their ability to see what's going on. And they'll continue to use 20th century analogies and paradigm to justify why. Well, you know, if, uh, if you had a vault in a bank, and then you tied this ribbon around the vault, and I said, cut the ribbon and open the vault, you'd have to. But that's because so, there's, wait, hold on. But that's because there's a literal vault that you can, that anybody with the right tools can open. That is not, that is not how encryption works. Mm-hmm. When done properly, encrypted data can only be decrypted by, pro- by people, parties, holding the private key for decryption. So I have two things to say about that. Please. Uh, one, it's pretty clear that uh, it's a matter of the people who are saying, oh, encryption is bad, we need to get rid of it, just don't even know how it works and what it is. Part well, no, no, two no, no. It, like I said. Part two of it, some of them, Wait, wait, some of them do, but some of them just see it as uh, I'm losing my ability to have this heavily automated yeah, surveillance they package. They don't they understand. They have to do work. They don't understand. To the point where there's other parts of the government that actually require certain businesses to have encryption. Right. Like FTC. A, uh, oh, yeah. And, uh, well, you got the banks that need heavy encryption to, PCI uh, compliance, with, with all sorts of stuff. And then just to be able to, take, like you mentioned, PCI compliance, uh, any company to take credit, card, credit cards online, they need to be encrypted. Now, let's talk really quickly about what PCI compliance is. Oh, boy. It really, no. Well, right. you, well, you do it because then it'll be brief. All right. PCI compliance is just uh, basically a uh, set of rules that you must meet uh, based on a certain level of uh, how much money you're taking in, in order to take credit cards. And uh, it's not really that. It's not. No, hold on. It's not to take credit cards, because this is a very important distinction. It's to store information, identifiable information about the card. No? No, no. Because you can have, wait, hold on, because you can have a gateway mm -hmm. that is not, or like PayPal. You can use PayPal as a credit card gateway. They will accept. You're you're still required a minimum level of PCI uh, compliance. There's levels to PCI compliance. Mm. PCID is the one where you're actually storing credit cards on your servers. Then uh, there's lower ones like AP. and A, where A is basically you're using PayPal. AP is saying... What do you have to do for PCIA? PCIA is very basic, like a, a multi-factor SSH into your servers. Um, in fact, uh, I, I like the idea of no, no SSH at all. But um, People... You know how many people have embedded PayPal into their website to accept credit cards? Oh, They're yeah. not doing that shit. Well, here's the thing. You don't have to be PCI compliance unless you get caught. <laughs> well, you don't have to secure a server unless it gets hacked. Exactly. So... Anyway, um, so there are, okay, and this is another grand equilibrium equation when you talk about regulations and you talk about technologies and there's a give and take. What is, is there anything that we've encrypted now that we could concede to the government as, we don't have to encrypt this, you're right, we've gone too far? Well, I'd say no, really. I mean, anything can be encrypted and should be encrypted. I don't really think there's any reason not to. I just told you the reason. ISIS, Russia, right. Putin, China, China, right. China, 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 huge China. <laughs> Pronounced China. <laughs> and anyway, um, and that's the uh, no, but that's the line of BS. And I'm with you. That's the yeah. line of BS that they'll tout out, and they'll get these octogenarian senators who shouldn't be there anymore to go. Mm. You're right. We don't need a crypt. We're Irish. Your age. It doesn't matter. It's a different world. We need mm-hmm. new people in Congress, and I really wish. That for the next election, when is the next election? 2016. 2016, everybody vote out your car. Wait a Wait, second. Wait, it's 2020. That's, we missed that. 2020, good sir. Oh, no. We're, we're screwed now. Um, giggity, 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 Yeah. 
I turned the the big secret was I forgot to turn up the volume on the iPad. Ah, yeah, but yeah. Anyway, uh, government officials claim to be doing everything possible to enhance cybersecurity. Zero days are a serious threat to the cybersecurity of individuals, government agencies, and corporations. Yet, government agencies are the biggest buyer of zero day exploits. Now, in thirty seconds, because we only have about eleven minutes. What is a zero-day exploit? Um, I'm not really a security guy, so I pr probably can't give you a word for word. I know what a zero-day exploit is, Christian. Well, is it, okay. I'm not really a security guy. That was a, you caught me off guard. Look <laughs> at that, because I'm not a security guy either. But a zero-day exploit is an exploit that, when it's released, can be immediately used. Zero-day. You can just use it. You can deploy it. You can use it immediately. It's an active vulnerability that hasn't been patched. Then why is that even a phrase, though? Because you can use it now. Yeah, you don't have that, to wait. That, that's because, just saying any vulnerability that's out there. No, because there all are vulnerabilities that require more time that can't just be used. Right oh, now. you're you're saying like ones where it's like uh, I don't know if your one is uh, this is uh, issue in KSM, which is a what's uh, KSM? It's a uh, Linux somebody's name Linux kernel feature. Uh, Isn't that, he a dictator? It's called uh, who's KSM? Kernel uh, uh, same page but merging. So the idea is if you have two page tables, which page tables Khalid Sheikh Muhammad. Yeah, no. I knew, I knew that's what you were talking about. Oh yeah, Khalid Sheikh Muhammad. Sure. No. Sorry. Anyway. <laughs> okay, what was KSM? Anyway, KSM is uh, kernel same page merging. Kernel same page merging. Yeah. Page as in page memory table. page. Yeah, page right. table, which is just a virtual block of memory. Okay. And so what that does is when it sees two pa uh, page tables that are uh, have the same uh, both uh, well the same values, it'll actually merge them into a single page table, saving memory. And but the second page, how much overhead is there in a memory page? Overhead? No, that, See, wait, that's, wait, wait, wait. That's so not you, the. Uh, right, so, right I'm sorry. So it's asked. like it's like defragmenting memory. No, no, no. It's just saying, hey, I have a page table here. I have a page table here. They have the same values. Uh, drop one. Oh, page they have table the same values. Use, yeah, and uh, just use uh, a pointer the yeah. for the other one. Yep. And that happens gotcha. to kernel. The issue is VMs, which just about anyone who's in the cloud uses VMs. There is actually a, a white paper uh, published uh, that the idea of. Uh, Basically, uh, just keep on trying to run your GPG uh, 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 keys, um, GPG utility on there to actually get another person's keys out of it. So going back to encryption, the idea is you can be in another VM and you just keep on running this until you actually get a same page merge and all of a sudden you have another person's keys. Oh, no. That's ex oh, I shouldn't say it's exactly. That relates heavily to, I think we have time for this. Did you know about a bunch of secret protocols that exist? Oh, by the way. Before I go into that, a zero-day exploit is called a zero-day exploit because, because it is not publicly reported or announced before becoming active, leaving the software's author with zero days to fix it. Hmm. That's the official definition from okay, the Book that, of Knowledge. That, that makes a bit more sense. Okay. Well, yes. Well, we're not security guys, but we can pretend to be on the radio. <laughs> you know, they don't think that we're not until we say something like that because this is a geek show. Hmm. You could work for the FBI. <laughs> You'd have to shave, but that's a... <laughs> <laughs> Um, there were a bunch of, let me see if I can pull this up. Uh, there were a bunch of extra protocols in Edge, the new, well, not new anymore, uh, web browser from Microsoft. I am not surprised. Oh, yeah, I know. And guess where you can find a list? This is a very Windows. 
<laughs> this is a very Windows news story. Uh, guess where you can find the list of all of these secret protocols? Bing? No. <laughs> locally. Locally. Oh. Um, I, I, I don't Think know. Windows. Think horrible, horrible Windows. I don't know. So, somewhere buried. Begins with in... an R. Oh, the registry? The registry. Oh, oh, God. That's right. Uh, uh... That's right. So there are. Wait, why? Um, here. Uh, so you can use a protocol. Typically, my, Microsoft has spent the majority of the last 10 years really, I want to say since they had that come to Jesus moment with Windows XP Service Pack 2, when they were trying to release Windows Vista, mm. and then they forgot that they didn't modula modularize Windows first. Mm -hmm. uh, then they had to redo all of that, and then they delayed Vista, and then they released XP Service Pack 2, which was basically the same, but just with modularized anyway mm. uh the new microsoft web browser has oh so they've been trying to um introduce more user controls to prevent scripts or programs from doing unauthorized things on the computer but they burrowed a nice hole in that security with these additional protocols so you can make a link that opens up uh, just a regular html link mm -hmm. that op that opens up a url that is supposed to be sandboxed but is not and it will allow a page to get outside of the browser sandbox because you can use, there's a Microsoft Edge protocol that you can call in a link that will open up whatever it is. Whatever URL that you pass to it. It just gives you it, full range of syscalls. Yeah. And, oh, God, why? Because they have Mac users making Windows. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, no, there's a lot of them. There's, uh, there's a my MS Windows Store protocol because typically... When you go to the Windows Store, you are asked if you want to open it because it's a, a, your web browser launching an application. But if you use ms-windows-store, colon, slash, slash, you can get it to go anywhere without your uh, saying that you're allowed to, mm. without your approval. Um, so, of course, this means that it's rife for cross-site scripting and it's rife for some kind of exploitation. And there are, and I believe a lot of these uh, extensions that come on Edge also have their own URL handlers, which mean that it, they're also rife for exploits. So I guess what I'm saying is, and this doesn't even really need to be said, don't use Edge. Don't use Internet Explorer. <laughs> don't use Windows. Stay on Mac OS or stay on Linux and use Chrome or Firefox. Or Firefox actually has come back recently. They redid their memory oh, yeah. manager finally. Yeah, and they have a new rendering engine. Built, and they have a new built, rendering engine. Built in Rust, which is pretty cool. It's not, yeah, it's not, it's not Gecko. It's, uh, which I'd always said Gecko was the best renderer. So if they've come out with an even better renderer, then that's fantastic. I might be able to move back. I've been on Chrome for two years. Wow. I grew up with Firefox. I grew up oh, yeah. with Internet Explorer. What am I talking about? Uh, IE6 is where I cut my teeth in web design. And uh, you, you poor, poor soul. I know. I know. Back in the day, it Polar was... Polar Quest, the show where we uh, basically just knock on IE and talk about trains. Which, I mean, <laughs> you know... Oh, we talked about the government buying uh, zero-day exploits. That's kind of important. We mm. talked about encryption, and we talked about trains. So, uh, <laughs> And yeah. a whole lot of knocking on IE. And a whole... Well, I mean, you know, that doesn't go without warrant. I'm not just going to come oh, out of Oh, of course. I mean, I mean, it's IE. You can't go without knocking on I it. wouldn't have knocked it if it, there weren't this new story of what the fuck is this uh, when I'm reading, when I'm thumbing oh, through articles. Oh, of course. Of course. I mean, it's just, this is kind of a regular thing for anything Microsoft. I know. But why didn't they learn like, their lesson? They tried so hard. I think case in point, 60% of Microsoft employees use Google over Bing. 
Right, but, unless you're unless you're working in Steve Ballmer's office. Oh wait, he's not there anymore. <laughs> wow. I take the man. Yeah, I'm still stuck in 2006. Uh, Satya, he might he might use. I could see him using Google. Yeah. Which uh, Google actually joined the .NET Foundation recently. That was and Microsoft joined the Linux Foundation recently. Yeah, that that would have been a bit scared of. This is a brave new world. Yeah, it really is. So uh, we've got a couple minutes left, Christian. Is there anything that you want to plug? Anything that you'll be doing? Any meetups that you that you're going to thinking about? Uh, not not this week actually. Oddly enough, no. Yeah, yeah, nothing's happening this week. Yeah, this is a. Uh, we shouldn't even really pre- have been doing pre- the show. Pretty relaxed week. Yeah, yeah. 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 Just uh, I feel like does the does does the does the uh, the North American plate sink a little bit after Thanksgiving with everybody just piling in the food? Yeah, it kind of folds in the middle and then uh, <laughs> it just sinks from there. A giant sinkhole opens up in Kansas. <laughs> what happened? Oh, everybody just ate, had a fantastic Thanksgiving. So that's uh, you know, well, there's a give and take to gravity. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you can see just to go back really quickly that all you have to do in Edge is use the sandbox attribute when you're instantiating an iframe, an inline frame in HTML. And that's it. Which, you know, you could say, well, why don't I just launch DevTools and remove the attribute, and then that should get the script to execute without the sandbox. That uh, uh, seems really easy to do. Yeah, but I it already did, so it's like... When you, but I believe if you mess with an iframe in DevTools, it'll reload the content. If you take away the sandbox attribute, then you could probably get it to reload the content. By the way, you can also... Get a link to launch 30 new Microsoft Edge instances without user knowledge using this. Because you can, like I said, you can this type seems like Microsoft some like, Edge colon your mom's webpage.com. This which seems creates, like some kind of... Which uh, redirects. Wait, you can put that in a meta redirect, which redirects to another Microsoft Edge colon. And you can. that's how you can really easily kill a Windows machine. So I'm wondering if this was like a developer tool used internally on the Edge team that they forgot to like, uh, say if dev. If dev. <laughs> hey, did somebody remember to set dev to false for prod? Uh, no. <laughs> well, that might be why we're getting these messages. Yeah. Well, I mean, at the same time, we have to go. Mm-hmm. Really quickly, though, a lot of iOS stuff have their own URL handlers. I'm sure they're not entirely secure either, but this article isn't right. about them. Mm-hmm. It's about Microsoft. And on that note... I think we've arrived at the end of another pull request. So, Christian, do you approve this pull request? Looks good to me. Why? No no comments? Nope. No? Any commits look look funky? Nope. No get blame? None of that? Nope. All right. Well, then, dear Brooklyn, dear New York City, dear America, dear Earth, we will see you all next week right here on Radio Free Brooklyn.